Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode 328 of the Tick Boot Camp podcast. The title of today's interview is Migraine Solutions, an interview with Dr. John Alaka. My name is Tiffany Perez. And I'm Richard Johannesson. Dr. Alaka was a really cool guy. He's a medical doctor who, as a result of going on a Lyme disease journey, came up with a three-point wellness and healing program that he's offering to the community. Yes, and Dr. Alaka from Long Island, he's a, a medical doctor who has suffered from Lyme disease. And he talks about how he overcame his migraines with some solutions that he um, discovered. And Tiffany's also a prolific author where he's published over 60 books. So without further ado, we're really excited to introduce to the Lyme disease community and to the Tick Boot Camp community, Dr. John Alaka. Well, welcome, Dr. John Alaka. I'm happy to have you here. My name is Tiffany Perez. I'm actually a, a tattoo artist here in New Jersey, and I've been tattooing for over 14 years now. I just actually found out I had Lyme disease this year, and it has been pretty difficult um, dealing with it, especially as a tattoo artist and sitting down for long hours and being a business owner. So I definitely understand what it feels to have those symptoms of Lyme disease and the struggles and challenges that we all kind of deal with, you know, dealing with this disease. So I am interested in getting to know a little bit more about you. So tell me, where do you live? What do you do? Um, where did you grow up? A little background on you. Okay. Well, I was born and grew up in Brooklyn. And right now I'm living in Northport, New York. How so, far is Northport, Northport yeah, from New Jersey? About an hour and a half. Oh, okay. It's pretty much in the middle of the island on the North Shore. How long have you been a doctor for? 35 years, something like that. I, oh. I lost track, but a long time. Okay. And your specialty as a doctor? I'm a medical research scientist. So I do mostly research, uh, but I also developed a lot of diagnostic instruments in hospitals. That was my business for a while was medical instrumentation. Uh, I worked in hospitals, building them and designing them. Then I went into my own business and uh, designed built them and went bankrupt. Probably get, going to get an award for being the world's worst businessman. No. And, uh, <laughs> and yeah. in 1990, I suffered from migraines. I mean, Lyme disease was not the only problem I ever had, but I suffered from migraine headaches uh, since I was a young child. Uh, for many years, uh, my colleagues were saying, oh, sumatriptan's coming on the market. Sumatriptan's coming on the market. It'll cure your migraines. And I couldn't wait. And I finally got the, one of the first doses that was uh, uh, put on sale. And uh, I almost had a heart attack from it. And really? I still had the migraine. And I said, wait a minute, something's wrong here. So I started doing some research into migraines. I said, you know, I'm a research scientist, so let me check this out and see what's going on. So I built uh, a biochemical model, which is something I did in graduate school. I modeled biological systems. So, um, so I said, well, why don't I create a biological model of migraines? So I did. And once I had that, I knew where to plug in and what was causing it and so on and so forth. I mean, most of the drugs on the market today 
they say they don't know how it actually works. <laughs> you know, it just works. Right. So um, my model showed exactly how migraine works. And so uh, I saw, oh, I don't know how many patients since 1993, but many, many patients published several books. And that was um, uh, what I was doing. But also uh, the work that I did on migraine also applies to depression. So it's the same program, migraine and depression. And uh, so I published two books. One book is for doctors and uh, one book is a guidebook for patients to follow. So people can do it on their own uh, using the patient guide or they can consult with me. Um, Mostly people in Europe and uh, Australia and places like that do. They purchase the uh, guidebook from Amazon and they just do it on their own. Wow. Okay. So, so you're saying that with what you've learned from migraines that you can actually, um, follow a guide to help get rid of migraines. Well, no, it, uh, it prevents migraines prevents it. Okay. Yeah. Does it have to do with blood thickening? I'm just curious. No, no, not at all. Okay. No. Okay. I'm sure there's there's a lot behind that, but it's pretty interesting. Mm. Actually, about- what Go. happens is, see, migraine and depression are very similar mechanisms. And what happens is uh, the brain is the most important part of your body. OK, so getting blood to the brain is more important than anything. Your, your feet can fall off, but the brain has to have blood. So um the there's a part of your brain called the hypothalamus that regulates blood flow and it actually regulates blood flow between the left brain the right brain uh the visual cortex and then the peripheral circulation and that's why uh with migraine you get it on either the right or the left side sometimes it could shift um it's the most misunderstood uh neurological disorder there is because a lot of people think they get a severe headache and it's migraine. It's not. Uh, a lot of times it's sinus and it's misdiagnosed as sinus. So uh, with migraine, though, it's one side of the head or the other. And of course, it's severe right. pain, too. But what happens is the hypothalamus regulates um, blood flow between the left and the right side. And so if there isn't enough it's going to shift the neurotransmitters over to one side of the brain. And then eventually it'll shift it back to the other side. So it's a very complicated process, but. uh, I'll ask some more questions about that in the end, but I just want to know something. Do you think that ocular migraines are similar to just regular migraines or they're different things? It is similar. Okay. I just had one today and I was wondering Uh, what just happened. (laughs) <laughs> Did you have the uh, visual scotomata? Yes, yes. And the scintillating, was it scintillating scotomata? Yes, yes, it was. Yeah. So that has yeah. to do with blood flow to the brain. Right, right. Okay. Now, actually, what happens is it's like the very beginning. You, your, your brain is still manufacturing neurotransmitters. And so you're like halting it at the very beginning. You know, you're getting the beginning part of it, and then the brain, you know, manufactures enough neurotransmitters 
to uh, satisfy the rest of the brain. So, mm -hmm. but the visual cortex is the very beginning. Uh, okay. Like most people with migraines will suffer the visual aura uh, first, and then comes the pain after that. The visual aura goes away, and then the pain comes by. Yeah, and, luckily I didn't, you know, I didn't have the pain, but I just wondered, like, why does that happen, or um, why? Well, because you're losing neurotransmitters. Okay, uh, serotonin and norepinephrine are the two main ones. Norepinephrine is pretty easy to make, um, but serotonin is a little more difficult to make because it doesn't cross the blood-brain barrier, and ninety-five percent of your serotonin is in your gut, but it can't get into the brain that has to be manufactured in the brain. And it needs tryptophan or 5-hydroxytryptophan in the brain to manufacture it. And tryptophan is difficult to get into the brain because it's like trying to get a taxi cab in New York City. You know, there's a, like a lot of people who want to get into that taxi cab. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's the same thing with tryptophan. It competes with uh, large neutral amino acids and fatty acids to get into the brain. So it needs that carrier, an albumin carrier, which I kind of uh, relate to a taxi cab, you know. So everybody wants to get on this taxi cab. And um, so it's a little bit more difficult to get into the brain. So, and then once it's in the brain, then it could be, then serotonin can be manufactured. Hmm. That's interesting. Um, is there anything you recommend? Like, is there vitamins to kind of help with that, with anything with the brain? Yes, there oh, is. The but the main thing is to prevent the loss of neurotransmitters. And how, how do you prevent okay. that? Now this goes back to the gut. All right. Okay. There's a, there's a chemical, which you probably have heard of called tyramine, not to be confused with tyrosine, tyramine, which is in aged cheeses and stuff. And actually tyramine is manufactured by bacteria and tyramine is actually the precursor to the neurotransmitter octopamine which is the primary neurotransmitter for insects and that's why it exists so readily in nature so anything that's fermented by bacteria is going to produce tyramine okay so things like yogurt and cheese I mean, everybody says yogurt is healthy, but not for migraines. And the reason, here's the reason. All right, you might want to ask, why would one person be able to eat cheese and one person doesn't? Well, it has to do with uh, monoamine oxidase in the stomach and the gut. Monoamine oxidase will break down tyramine. So it doesn't get into the bloodstream. Okay, that's normally. But people who suffer from migraine, depression, uh, they have a deficiency of monoamine oxidase in their stomach, which hasn't been proven. I don't have the facilities right now to prove it, but it's probably true. And uh, I also think, haven't proven this either, but I would think that stress probably causes the stomach to produce less monoamine oxidase. Like, for example, B12 requires a chemical that's produced in the stomach called intrinsic factor, okay, for B12 to get absorbed into the bloodstream. And it has been proven that stress will, uh, will cause the stomach to produce less intrinsic factor. So it probably produces less monoamine oxidase also. So 
the tyramine gets into your bloodstream and wreaks havoc in the bloodstream. Whereas a no, normal person, tyramine would normally be broken down and wouldn't get into the bloodstream. Got it. Okay. So, so Dr. Luck, let me let me ask you a couple of things about migraines as well, because this is a huge issue in the Lyme community. There are many, many people in the Lyme community who suffer from migraine headaches. Right. Um, so why don't you connect that for us? Um, why do you think there are so many people in the Lyme disease community who are also suffering symptoms of, of migraine headaches? Well, because the bacteria. Bacteria, remember I had said the bacteria produces tyramine. Well, if you have a lot of bacteria in your body, it'll produce tyramine, which is also, and a big argument I had once at a conference um, about um, probiotics. And uh, they were, some manufacturers were there and they were advertising, take this probiotics and it'll cure migraine. I said, no, it's not going to cure migraine. It's going to cause migraine. And they argued with me and argued with me. So I decided, well, I'm Italian. I have to fight this and make a fool out of them. So when I was lecturing, <laughs> I'm an Italian from Brooklyn. <laughs> so <laughs> you don't mess with me. I'm also an ex-Marine. <laughs> so during my lecture i said how many people have treated migraine headaches people rose their you know raised their hand and i said okay how many of you have given probiotics to migraineurs and they raised their hand and i said did it make the how many of you have made it worse and they all raised their hands mm -hmm. so because it's bacteria you know i don't care if it's good bacteria or not it's still bacteria and it's still going to produce tyramine. So you're saying that if I were to basically eat, let's say I eat a lot of cheese. Yeah. Um, that can actually cause like my migraine. Absolutely. Right. That's, and you know what? I a hundred percent agree now because these past two days I had like this, I had this huge charcuterie board and it was just nothing but leftover cheese. I was just eating so much cheese. Right. And these past two days I've had the ocular migraine. So right. it makes sense. This is amazing. Yeah. Well, it's <laughs> not just cheese, good. anything fermented like yogurt. Yeah. You know, yeah. Uh, you know. And it doesn't matter if it's soy cheese or regular cheese. It's still bacteria. It's the bacteria that causes right. the production of tyramine. And same thing in Lyme disease. You have bacteria producing tyramine and you can't produce it. But with Lyme disease, it's even more complicated because... Uh, when you have Lyme disease, you're under a lot of stress, you know, you're, you're in pain and that causes a lot of stress. So then the stomach will produce less monoamine oxidase and therefore, uh, you know, you have tyramine getting into the, into the bloodstream. So what, what do you think it is, Dr. Locker? Do you think it is the stress? Do you think it is essentially this dirty bacteria that's in the gut and it's in the a rest combination. of the body? It's or it's all of the above. Yeah. You see, uh, doctors try to simplify medicine. It's usually not simple, you know. And that's why, uh, I, as a matter of fact, when I was working at Mount Sinai, I developed this pulmonary system and software that would diagnose pulmonary problems like 10, 10 years or so in advance. And the Canadian government, uh, you know, and I published it and all of that, um, made a whole $18,000 a year salary on that too. And uh, 
I published it. And the Canadian government said, hey, you know, if we buy all the parts, will you come up and build a machine up here in the North Pole so we could study uh, the effects of climate, you know, cold temperatures on people? So I said, sure. So they they got all the stuff. I went up to the North Pole, stood up there for two weeks, by the way. I loved it. It was 96 below zero. And I loved it. Oh, it was the most peaceful place. I mean, there wasn't a sound. There wasn't anything. You know, it was just like sensory deprivation. And, and I loved it. So anyway, and this machine, um, you know, uh, a lot of these machines are in the hospitals today that I had developed. And uh, everybody thinks I'm, I'm rich, but, uh, you know, I made like $18,000 a year salary. Some some places I made twenty one thousand dollars a year salary, developing all these things. So anyway, uh, you know, it took into consideration a lot of things, and the software that I developed now that I was using for migrainers, it it had twenty nine thousand algorithms. Uh, so now it's pretty well. I have a program that I use now, and uh, uh, instead of um, because I was trying to make my migraine program, you know, available to everyone, uh, not have to come into my office, you know. Mm -hmm. So that's what I've done. And as a matter of fact, I have a patient recently in Ireland. So I'm treating and uh, it's working out pretty well uh, remotely. That's awesome. Yeah. When, um, when I had Lyme disease, I was going to see uh, acupuncture. Um, and he, I asked him like, what is the, like, what is the most thing that you, you try to treat? And he was saying migraines is like number one. So mm -hmm. people are definitely dealing with that a lot around all over the world, which is. Mm. Well, you know, stress has a lot to do with migraines because the more stress you're under, the less monoamine oxidase you're going to produce in the gut. So the more tyramine you're going to get in, into your system. Mm -hmm. So I had developed a formula um, which I actually called NeuroLife. And I was manufacturing and selling it, but I really don't want to be in a, a business person, you know, so I stopped doing that. And then a company, uh, Allergy Research, picked up the formula and they're manufacturing it. Uh, they never gave me the royalty they promised me, but they're manufacturing on the name Serotonin. And uh, so you can buy that. But on its own, without the diet and everything else, you know, it's not going to be that helpful because then you're going to lose more serotonin than you can produce, you see. Mm -hmm. So you have to do both. You have to do both the diet and the uh, supplements as well. Okay. So Dr. And Locke, stress, what, stress what, reduction. Let, let's, let's, let's bring this forward a little bit and talk a little bit about um, your Lyme disease journey and how your experiences as a medical researcher and as a, as a, um, as a developer put right. you in a position where you, um, where you were suffering from symptoms at that, okay. and you were going to doctors and you weren't get, getting diagnosed. So talk about, talk about that part of your journey where you were getting sick and talk to us about what the symptoms were and how you had some challenges with getting diagnosed despite uh, being a medical researcher yourself. Okay, well, this goes dates back to about 1989. Uh, all of a sudden, I got very sick for two weeks, and I didn't know why. Um, the symptoms were strange. They weren't normal. It wasn't symptoms of a cold or a virus. I just got really, really sick. 
and started to get pains in my knees and everything. And so at actually one of the dinners, <laughs> um, you know, I used to have we, we used to have dinners out here at Stony Brook. Uh, we had like a group of doctors and um, chiropractors and so on. And we used to have all these dinners. So anyway, uh, one of the doctors, one of the physicians was saying, knees, well, the, you know, that could be Lyme disease. So, um, and originally on Long Island, when Lyme disease came to Long Island, it was called Montauk knee. That was what they called it. And uh, then eventually it, uh, it was diagnosed and named uh, Lyme disease in Lyme, Connecticut. So it, it traveled, it, it traveled by the birds. It was the birds that uh, brought the deer ticks to both Montauk and, uh, um, and Connecticut. And uh, uh, supposedly it came from Plum Island. Uh, hasn't been, that seems to be controversial. But anyway, uh, the birds brought it to both Connecticut and, and Montauk. So, um, so anyway, um, and I was going to go see them and go, you know, a whole bunch of tests. And I kind of declined the uh, uh, lumbar punctures and all this kind of stuff that they wanted to do. And, uh, you know, I mean, I've, I've seen, I've been to medical school, so I know what happens if you do it wrong, you cut the door by mistake, you tear it. And, you know, I, I mean, it's, some doctors are very sadistic. So I, I declined doing that. And, you know, I used my own blood to calibrate my microscope. And one day I saw all these spirochetes and, and I kicked myself because it was the one time that the camera wasn't connected to the microscope. So I don't have the videos, but I'll have to tell you that it's the most violent bacteria that I have ever seen in my life. I mean, it just knocked other cells out of the way. Unbelievable. I have never seen anything like that in, in, in my entire career. Uh, and, and of course, it's a spirochete, it's a spiral, but it, it kind of went like, it moved in a V shape like this, you know, which is very weird. So there's only two things that really um, have spirochetes and it's either syphilis or Lyme disease. And if you had syphilis, you would have genital uh, lesions and so on and so forth. So I knew it wasn't syphilis. Besides, it was the, the knee pain that I had. So I immediately went on antibiotics. And so what, I've been on- what was, the, what was the time? What was the time gap between when you had this two week illness and the time that you were ultimately self-diagnosed with Lyme disease when you calibrated your microscope and saw the yeah. saw the spirochetes? It was probably a year, I would say. It, I'm guessing. Um, probably. And we're going back to 1989, you know, so um, a long time ago. So uh, did, did you did you talk with any of your doctor colleagues between the time that you had your two week illness and the time that you finally saw the spirochetes in the microphone, no, microphone microscope and mm -hmm. um and and did you ask any of them to um diagnose you with with um whatever it is that was ailing you during that one year period prior to the diagnosis well don't forget back in 1989 
Lyme disease was, you know, was almost unheard of. It was just starting. Uh, and like I said, they originally called it Montauk knee and they didn't know what it was. And so, um, so, uh, but when I saw it in my microscope, right away, I got a prescription. Actually, originally I got a prescription for doxycycline and I had a really bad adverse reaction for the doxycycline because doxycycline can increase intracranial pressure. And that happened to me and it could have killed me too. But, uh, you know, well, thank God it didn't. I knew enough to stop it right away. And I knew all the symptoms of intracranial pressure because that was another thing I did. I invented a non-invasive intracranial pressure monitor many years ago. Uh, and right now, the only way you can measure intracranial pressure is to drill a hole in someone's head and put a Becker bolt in there or a ventricular catheter. So, um, but the, I, I, I chased my tail with that. Uh, for about 10 or 15, 10 years, 12 years, something like that, I met with, because uh, I needed $400,000 to build the prototype. And uh, I met with people uh, in Wall Street who have no concept of what it's like to actually earn a living. You know, these people were born into money to them, you know. And in my business plan, I put down a salary, a meager salary, you know, and they said, oh, no, you can't draw a salary. And I says, well, how am I supposed to live? And they said, well, find a way, you know, because they have no concept of what it's like to work from paycheck to paycheck. Yeah. Anyway, uh, the story I got was um, build a prototype and prove it, and then we'll give you the money. But I need the money to build the prototype to prove it, you know. So I chased my tail for like 10 years like that and got nowhere till finally uh, I had this clinic in Oyster Bay and um, I had this, uh, somebody called me because I had this machine that I, I developed uh, that rehabilitates nerve functions and uh, sold a whole bunch of those. And I had somebody call me up and said, you know, my husband has uh uh, trigeminal neuralgia so bad that he's in tremendous pain. He just, you know, do you think your machine would help? And I said, well, I haven't tried it on anybody with trigeminal neuralgia, but you have nothing to lose. Doesn't hurt. So he came in and it was a 45 minute treatment. And by the time 45 minutes was over, he was cured. No wow. way. So he says, well, I have a, he says, where'd you get this machine? He says, I've been looking all over for, you know, so I, I went into it and I talked about the intracranial pressure monitor and how I'm trying to get it financed. He says, look, I have a bunch of friends who are investors. Let me set up a meeting and you can talk to them. So they actually said to me, well, you know, this is unproven technology. And uh, we have a friend at MIT. Could we send him, you know, all your information? He'll sign a disclosure and all this kind of stuff. And let's just get his opinion on it. I said, sure, sure. So I sent it to them. But it ended up taking six months because they had to split it up into five different departments because the physics department didn't understand the, uh, the physiology. The physiology department didn't understand the mathematics. It took them six months. But after six months, they finally came back and, and they said, uh, yeah, we think it'll work. 
So then I got the money to build a prototype. And I did. I built the prototype and I proved that it worked. And then the 87 stock market crash came and that was the end of everything, destroyed everything, the whole business, everything. And now nobody will build it because uh, they said, look, it's not patented. It, we'll spend millions of dollars, you know, getting this on the market. And then some company from Taiwan will come along, build it at, and sell it for half the price. So it never got on the market. And it's unfortunate because a lot of kids die. Hi, you've heard of hydrocephalus, right? Yes. Water on the brain, they call it. Yes. Yes. And usually most of them die. It's very rare for them to, to, um, to survive. And this would have been a screening device. Anyway. So let's 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 bring the. I don't remember what the question was. <laughs> well, so I'm going to bring you. I'm going to bring you back uh, because uh, Tiffany and I, I think, want to engage you in in the you know in sort of part two of the conversation that, that Tiffany started with you earlier, which is uh, which is the the connection oh, between my migraines and now and now your treatment, right? So you you now you now uh, self diagnose yourself with Lyme disease. Um, you take the doxycycline. And you have an adverse reaction to the doxycycline, right? Right. Now, so, so my, then, so, then so let's start with this before before you go further. There, let me just focus on the doxy for a minute, right? Because one of the things that we see in the community, especially when people have acute diagnosis of Lyme disease, is that that they're they're prescribed doxycycline, and it's recommended because the doxycycline is going to have right. an impact on your gut that you take probiotics right and so let's let's talk about that sort of yeah. loop that you're in and what impact that had on your migraines right well um i didn't develop the uh, model for migraines till 1993 okay but you you uh, yourself were suffering from migraines right yes and, and what, so when did but you then start? i was suffering i was suffering from migraines since i was a child before right. the migraine the lyme disease it just right. made it worse that's all right so, that, so that's so, what i'm asking so right. so, you, so you're so you're somebody who has who has been suffering from uh from sorry from migraines for a long time uh from your childhood you you've mm -hmm. not yet you've not yet developed your model that we had talked about earlier but now i'm asking you what impact is is the doxycycline the you know the discovery that you had uh you you now had lyme disease and lyme disease mm -hmm. for over a year and now whatever is going on in your gut having on your on your migraine issue well the doxycycline didn't have that much of an effect on the migraine and i only took it for a few days and then had the increase of cranial pressure so i had to stop it right away but then after that i switched to minocycline okay which is actually a derivative of doxycycline and i was able to tolerate that and to this day, I'm still taking minocycline on and off and on and off and on and off. And I just read a, a report, um, a paper that was done at Stanford University. And they said that most of the antibiotics don't kill the bacteria. All they do is suppress the growth. And uh, they did find one antibiotic called the Zillin, Azolin or something like that that did kill the uh, bacteria, but it's something that's, that has been taken off the market many years ago. You know, a lot of times uh, products are on the market, they don't sell that well or whatever, and they just die out. They just stop making them. So that one product um, is not on the market, unfortunately, but that they found did kill uh, the line. 
So there's at least they're on the right track now of finding, um, you know, what can actually kill the bacteria. And that's what, and it makes sense. Like my, I said myself, I'm on and off the minocycline. And all it's doing really is not killing the bacteria, but it's suppressing the growth so that my immune system can take over. But one thing about uh, Lyme bacteria is it's really sneaky. It doesn't stay in the bloodstream. And that's why a lot of the tests don't show up because what happens is it hides out in the tissues and the cells. And, and so it, you know, the, um, the antibodies that it produces don't always get into the bloodstream. And that's why a lot of the tests are not accurate. They say the tests are not accurate. Well, it's not accurate because it may not be in the bloodstream at that time. So that's, that makes diagnosis a whole level of difficulty uh, more. So let me ask another question about the migraine headaches and neurological Lyme. Right, so we know we know that we know that uh, that Lyme will pass the blood-brain barrier. We know that actually the use of antibiotics actually makes it more likely that the Lyme bacteria will pass the blood-brain barrier and mm -hmm. and and enter into your neurological system. Um, mm -hmm. What impact do you believe that having the bugs <laughs> in your brain will have on the uh, on the migraine headaches? Uh Well, I don't know. I'd have to think about that. I'd have to think about that. All right. So let, let's come back. Let's come back and talk about the hypothalamus because it's one of the things that you talked about with Tiffany earlier, right? And right. we spend a lot of time here on this podcast talking about the HPA axis. Yeah. And the impact that that has on stress, right? And, and triggering the mm -hmm. fight or flight um, response. So you, you indicated that, that, the, that the hypothalamus, which is the H of the HPA axis, is the, um, is the um, part of the brain that is going to determine uh, whether or not the blood flow is going to go to the left part of the brain or the right part of the brain. And that plays a vital role in- Or other parts. Okay. Well, so, so talk to us about the HPA axis and the impact that you believe Lyme disease and the Lyme bacteria is having on the process of the HPA axis and the triggering of the hormones, which may in fact be what's causing the, uh, the migraine headaches. Okay. Um, it's not that simple. There's several things in play here. Okay. First of all, the pain causes stress. Okay. So, and, and not feeling well and all the other problems with Lyme causes stress. Now the stomach produces less monoamine oxidase, and now tyramine gets into the bloodstream. And tyramine can uh, get through the blood-brain barrier as well. So okay. it's really the high quantity. It's, it's more the high quantity. If bacteria, if the line gets into the brain, you're going to be paralyzed. You know, you're not going to be walking around. You're going to be paralyzed. You're going to have encephalitis. So um, it's more the tyramine getting into the brain than anything. And tyramine is just, oh, it's a nasty substance. It just causes havoc on everything. It causes blood vessels to dilate. It 
causes a loss of serotonin and uh, sometimes norepinephrine as well. It'll even displace neurotransmitters in the junction, the tyramine. Um, it'll just kick the neurotransmitter right out of the junction and displace it. So do you think that that could be the basis of brain fog? Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. So one more question I want to ask you before I let T Tiffany take you a little bit further on the journey. And let's talk about the, the, the vagus nerve or the vagal nerve and the mm -hmm. impact that sort of the, 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 um, the gut has on, on the, um, on the vagal nerve and the impact that that's now having on your brain. And does that have an impact? Do you, um, do you believe on the triggering of migraines? Well, the tyramine will have an effect on all nerves, all of them throughout the body. So, um, yeah, it'll affect the vagus nerve. It affects every nerve that it comes so, in contact with. So it's Dr. a Lenore, nasty substance. Okay. So now let's, let's move forward a little bit further in your journey and talk to us about, uh, talk to us about how you began to treat uh, Lyme disease now that you have this diagnosis you have your challenges with the doxycycline. You're now using minocycline. How does that affect you? And what kinds of things do you pivot to um, after, you, um, after you finish your course of the second antibiotic? Well, there was also another problem too from the Lyme disease. And it caused a tremendous amount of food allergies. And it, it's like I have hardly anything to eat. You know, so I have to know what I'm allergic to and what I'm hypersensitive to. Sometimes it's an allergy, sometimes it's a hypersensitivity. So I have to know all the things that, you know, give me hypersensitivities. So I'm on an extremely strict diet, very strict. Um, we don't eat in restaurants anymore, which is unfortunate. My wife wants to go out, but I happen to be a really good cook, so... She can't complain. Well, it's a, it's <laughs> she, good thing about she's, yeah. good thing she married an Italian man, so she'd get a good cook. Right. Out of you. Yes. Um, and I wrote a cookbook too, by the way. Well, what a surprise! The guy who's written sixty-two books, of course, would write a cookbook. <laughs> so, uh, um, I lost my train. Of what are What are some things that? Because um, you mentioned the food allergies. Now I'm curious mm. because I I noticed that I have to also now be very careful about what I eat. Yeah. Um, and one in particular, um, my cardiologist actually told me to get on was the FODMAP diet. Have you heard of that? Yeah. It's hard to explain, but I felt mm. like I could barely eat anything. So, <laughs> what are some things that you? definitely always avoid eating because you feel like well, it might something up. The, the migraine uh, diet, the migraine depression diet is anything fermented is out. Okay. But there's also a lot of, um, so the, that's why I wrote the book because the book has things you can eat and things you can't eat. I had to put in things you can eat because otherwise they were going to lynch me from a, up the nearest pole because they said people <laughs> migraine is they get very upset <laughs> what do you mean i can't eat anything you know so i put in a list of things i can eat also and you can eat ice cream by the way vanilla not chocolate really? but vanilla okay. yeah are um, you able do you have a meat allergy are you able to eat meat well i'm also an ethical vegetarian so it's okay. hard to say 
you know, okay. I mean, I don't believe in killing animals. I'm an animal lover. So um, I have two dogs right around here someplace. Um, and I go hiking in the woods and I take pictures of uh, animals and, and they actually come to me, you know, right. so I don't have to, I don't have to carry this huge, huge lens because they come to me and, and I photograph them. Yeah, that's all part of the uh, journey, the photography part, because, you know, you have to understand if you have Lyme disease, you're probably going to continue having it. You may not get cured in this lifetime. So how do you deal with it? You know, so that's why I came up with this whole thing with the photography as a path to healing. And, um, you know, you, you discover it's a self-discovery uh process and it's a fun process too going out there taking pictures and uh, things and you know it's not only self-discovery it's it's fun so and, and so how is that process for you so you kind of go out in nature and yeah. then just capture maybe animals or plants like pictures of whatever yeah, it you could do. be it could be anything it could be okay. absolutely anything um let me see how much time do we do we have time for a five minute uh, explanation? We do. We can we can we have as much time as you want, Dr. Locker. Okay. We, this, this is a long form podcast. So if, if, if you want to go into um, some detail on the question that Tiffany asked you, I think we'd, we'd be blessed to hear it. OK, about 35 years ago, I had a group on Long Island and I called it spirituality through photography and art. And originally I was teaching the meditation and, and they would, you know, I said, you know, in meditation, get a subject to, you know, go out there and either photograph or draw or whatever, any art form you want. And they said, no, uh, that didn't work. They said, you give us assignments. <laughs> so um, I did that. And we were coming to the holidays kind of around this time of year. And I knew we, we were meeting every other week, but I knew we wouldn't meet for over a month because of the holidays. And so I says, all right, I'm going to give you two assignments. One assignment is um, I want you to uh, represent in art, photography or whatever, what the year has meant for you. And then I want you to represent in, in art um, what you want the next year to represent to you. But I have to back up a little bit. Uh, before this last meeting, one of the, one of the participants uh, said, called me up and said, my sister's going to be in for the holidays. And she's an alcoholic. And I'm afraid she could accidentally leave the stove on or do something in the house. And I really don't want to leave her alone. Could I bring her to the group? She wouldn't you know, be disruptive or anything. And I said, sure, sure, bring her. So she, when she came in, she looked like something that came off the Bowery streets, you know, and uh, that's a Brooklyn thing, if you know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, but she sat there, didn't say a single word. Okay. So after a month, we were meeting again. And when she walked in, she had her hair done. She had makeup on. She had new clothing on. It was like a totally different person. And we all, you know, shared our photographs. And then she was up. And the first photograph she showed us was a sheet with whiskey bottles on it. 
And she's, this is what the year has been for me. And then she showed a sheet with broken whiskey bottles. And she's, this is what I want the next year to be. And, you know, from that point on, she never touched alcohol again. So these are all the dramatic things that can come out, you know, when you relate art to yourself and, and things like that. So these things just come out. So I wrote this book recently. Uh, actually, I went on a vision quest in 2018. And I used the Native American medicine wheel as a guide uh, through this journey. And I took photographs and so on and so forth and uh, went upstate and and so on and so forth. And then I did two other journeys that I documented and put in this book. And to this day now, I don't do a specific journey, but I go out to um, uh, Sunken Meadow Park and lots of animals there. And, you know, they just come right up to me and let me photograph them. And, and to me, uh, it just, it makes my day. It just absolutely makes my day. And, and, you know, some people who watch and they said, no, these animals actually, they came from behind, you know, to come to you. And I, and I joke around, I say, well, they must know I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> so, so Tiffany, can you share with us how um, there may be some parallels in the work that you do? Because I've at least seen a lot of people um, have different uh, people in their lives who had passed on, tattooed onto them as a way of sort of memorializing something that they're working through? Or can you talk about whether or not in your experience as an artist, you've seen the same things that Dr. Laka has seen where there is this sort of image of a before and an image of an after that helps people to heal from a traumatic experience? Um, yeah, well, it, it could be a number of things. Um, well, one is sometimes like if someone maybe have lost someone um they would want me to create a memorial piece for them because they don't have the artistic capability to create that so they depend on me to come up with the design and the concept to represent that for them and then once i design it and tattoo it on them and they see it some of them are just like so emotional and they will cry or they just like mm. they, they just cannot believe that it's actually on them now and I was able to create that for them so it makes them feel good it makes them feel like that person you know is always with them now especially if I did like a, right. a, a tattoo of a face or something like that so I could see the connection there um but yeah when it comes to the arts it's very healing for people and I say this because <laughs> I have clients that literally book the entire year whether it's once a month for a little tattoo they always come because this is their way of kind of like just getting away from either stress or something that they have been through it's kind of like therapy for them in a weird way um but I don't know I think it's awesome like with the whole photography thing and even how the animals come to you and how this just this is something that makes you feel good inside especially when it comes mm -hmm. to Lyme disease I mean it's it's a very traumatic experience at least for, you know for me and the stress that came with that and I was trying to figure out different outlets and ways to be able to um, express that or just release what I was feeling inside so mm -hmm. that is just like amazing I, I mean I saw I went on your website I saw a couple of photos I'm not sure if they were the ones that you actually took like the birds and I saw like a bird on your um on your page with photography so I'm not sure if you took that um 
Yeah. You know? I mean, anything that's on my website, I took. Yeah. Oh, okay. Oh, that's amazing. That's, that's amazing. Now, which website are you talking about? Is that the Dr. John Photography? Uh, it might have been. I have to double check and see. But yeah, I definitely saw like yeah. some photos there. So I thought that was pretty nice. So, of course, one of the things that we've started to develop together is that stress is going to have an impact on your capacity to heal. It's going to have an impact on on uh, on you neurologically and it's certainly going to have an impact on the likelihood of you suffering migraines so can you talk a little bit about how art can be the vehicle for helping people to reduce stress either because it's helping them to understand um and and, and process some of the challenges they're dealing with or they're you know they can use art as a vehicle for uh gaining insight into how they can overcome their challenges and therefore have a reduced level of stress because they're now emotionally working through the path that they're going to take forward. Hmm. I guess I could sum it up by saying that it connects people to joy. You know, what, what makes them feel joy? And then once it, you know, don't forget when you feel joy and all the, the, um, the brain produces oxytocin, and which is, you know, they call that the love hormone and oxytocin is um, is not only um, elevates your mood. It also is, 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 is a, um, it's like an endogenous opiate that actually relieves some pain. So, um, you know, if, if I had the Buddha as a student, he wouldn't have had to wait all those years to be enlightened. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, you, so you're arguing that the feel-good hormone of oxytocin, which is the the drug of connection, mm. has this dual function of both um, giving you a, this this feeling of euphoria and and at the same time reducing pain, so that you have both emotional the, the capacity to both emotionally and physically heal as a result mm. of the of the triggering of the of the um, of the hormone. And then there's there's also therapy in between. Like um, I get really really bad, and then I start getting the headaches and extreme fatigue, and uh, you know pains in my joints and everything. So then I go on the antibiotics, the minocycline, and I'll go on it for about a week. Usually about a week it will work for me, and then I'm okay again for maybe another month or two. But then it comes back again, you know, and, so, and I have to keep repeating it. But I'm, at least I'm aware now of my symptoms and what I need to do for it. You know, now, are, are there any particular events that are going on in your life where you are seeing a connection between life events and the and the re reinvigoration of the of the bacteria, which you then are treating with the with the um, uh, minocycline? Yeah, no, no, I don't think so. No. Now you, you're also you also have a uh, nutritional practice or a nutrition practice. Um, yes. Can you talk about what kinds of what kinds of changes you've made to your diet and your dietary habits to try to support your immune system um, in this battle with uh, with Lyme disease? Yeah. Well, I do take supplements. Um, I take ten thousand units of uh, vitamin D every day. I take 50 milligrams of zinc every day and, you know, the other normal uh, 
uh, multivitamins and vitamin E and, you know, the usual kind of things too. But the vitamin D and the, um, well, I also, you know, haven't knocked wood, got COVID too. So, you know, I kind of look at it, well, there's no room for a virus. The bacteria is in there. The Lyme is taking up all the room <laughs> in my body. So, um, but yeah, um, zinc and, and vitamin D will definitely help your immune system. 10,000 units of uh, vitamin D a day and uh, 50 milligrams a day of zinc. Oh, Are there any other boost. tools that you're using to either support your immune system or to help your immune system to uh, manage the uh, level of the Lyme bacteria? No, just so I, the antibiotics. Uh, I guess when the bacteria becomes overwhelming, I have to resort to the antibiotics. But then, you know, I don't have to take the antibiotics for uh, six months. I just take them for maybe five days and then I'm okay. So, you know, it's only a little bit of antibiotics that I have to take now. So one of the things that, that I'm a little concerned about is you're sharing with me this, we, we call this the antibiotic um, loop, where you go on antibiotics and it reduces the microbe level. And then, then you go off the antibiotics and the microbe level comes up. And then you go on the antibiotics again, and the microbe level goes up, it goes down. And then you, so you're sort of looping on and off of the antibiotics. And I'm, I'm concerned about whether or not you believe that uh, you may be causing the bacteria to adjust to the um, to the antibiotics, and therefore making the antibiotics less effective as a, as a tool. I don't think so, uh, because I don't use them that often. You know, like I said, I use it for five days. Um, uh, I know a lot of people who are on antibiotics for years. Uh, I only use it for five days. I just need. Uh, because I'm doing all the other things, I just need a little bit of help now and then, you know, and the antibiotics, um, just five days worth of minocycline at a very low dose too, um, 50 milligrams twice a day uh, for five days. And that, that's all I need. And then I'm, I'm in better shape again. So one of the things we learned from Dr. Joseph Biarscano, the um... The, you know, the famous Lyme doctor from Long Island who actually started his practice way back when you were uh, initially yeah. um, diagnosed with Lyme disease. Right. Is that if, you don't, if you don't get movement, you will not heal from Lyme disease. That exercise, um, yeah. healthy exercise of the proper type of movement uh, is, is, is vital to healing. Um, have you found that you've had to engage in a, some sort of a, a formal exercise uh, um, in order to be able to stay healthy and manage, uh, manage your disease? Well, I've done that my whole life, you know, uh, but Beriscano is correct. Yes. Because what happens is, uh, especially with Lyme disease, you get fluid building up in the joints. So you need the exercise to, uh, reduce that inflammation in the joints. Uh, but I, I do that, you know, all the time anyway, uh, like I said, now I go every morning to Sunken Meadow Park, which I just discovered only this year. Um, we used to, I had a house up in West Hurley, Woodstock, and for three years, and I loved it up there. I absolutely loved it. I was going hiking every day in the woods and everything, and had to move back to Long Island because I couldn't earn a living up there. 
So, um, you know, we would go up maybe three, four times a day, a year. And I would, you know, uh, hike and take pictures and do all those things. And then all of a sudden I discovered all these parks. Five, I started, discovered Mackamon Nature Preserve. I discovered Blydenburg Park. I discovered Sunken Meadow Park. Right here. Well, everything is within, you know, 15 minutes of my house. So now I go every morning that it's not raining, you know. Well, if it rains, I don't go. So now, unfortunately, we have to share with our listeners, there was a second tech bite experience that you had that you were managing Lyme disease um, yeah. for for a long time. And then and then the guy who is using nature as his vehicle for his movement, his exercise and for his his spiritual <laughs> practice and for um, managing his stress level right. ends up getting a second tick bite. So why don't you share with right. us what happened to you last May? Um, well, it, yeah, it was last May. And oh, here, this is what's really important to know. And I didn't know it until May. Uh, deer ticks you know, a lot of people think that they they're on the grass and so on and so forth, but they also drop down from trees. And what happened was some deer ticks dropped down on, in, to the back of my collar and onto my back from the trees. And I didn't know about that until, you know, I had the, I had a deer tick right on my back. And then I got the rash, big rash from it and all that kind of stuff. So, um, and it was itchy. And that's how my, you know, I said to my wife, look at this. So what's going on there? And it was, and she took it off and it was a deer tick. So, so how long do you suspect the deer tick had been biting you prior to you uh, feeling the itch and or seeing the bullseye rash? This is a guess, but I would say probably two weeks. Okay. Uh, now, um, now, what impact did this reinfection have on the symptoms that you had been managing up until the pa this past month? Well, the symptoms I had before were just, you know, headaches, joint pain. <laughs> but with this new, and that's why I knew it was um, uh, Borrelia mayoni, because Borrelia mayoni causes nausea and vomiting. And I usually never get nauseous, you know. And uh, like I can drink a whole eight ounces of water and not get nauseous from it. But I was vomiting my head off and uh, horrible, plus the joint pain and everything. And then noticing the deer tick. So I knew right away it was uh, Borrelia mayoni. I didn't even go for any tests. I just started taking the minocycline again. And uh, this time I took it for five weeks straight before the symptoms started to alleviate. Okay, okay, good. Yes. And did you have any symptoms other than those that you just described, meaning the, the, the nausea, or were there any other additional symptoms that you were suffering? Well, I had already been suffering the joint pain and such, which by the way, um, you see my hands? Uh, maybe- Our listeners cannot, but you, you did wiggle your fingers. Okay. 10 years ago, I started, I, I love the piano and I started, you know, taking lessons and playing the piano, but I had to quit because if I folded my hands, they would lock in place and I couldn't open my hands unless I took my other hand and opened it. So if I try to play, my fingers would lock. And now there's no sign of any arthritis in my hands. So uh, I'm so doing what something you right. 
What do you attribute the success to with your with your um, your resolution of the um, yeah. of the arthritis that you had in your hands? Well, you know, I'm doing a lot of things. I also developed something called Brainicity, and it's on my website. And I, I, this was thirty something years in the making. And I've analyzed, I don't know, thousands and thousands of EEG patterns and people's responses in their EEG patterns. And I developed this system called brain, which I now call brainicity. And it develops neural pathways between the left and the right halves of the brain. So, um, and I've taken people who've come into the office to try it out in, in the study. And they were so upset that they would, they could barely sit. And then after 20 minutes of this, they were just completely mellow. So I'm doing that. I'm doing the nutrition. I'm doing the diet. I'm doing the exercise. You know, I'm doing everything I can do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's working. Something is working. Maybe it's the combination of everything. Maybe it's just one thing I can't say. So talk to us about your website and the program that you have been offering, which includes Brainicity, uh, because you, you actually have a um, you have a three part uh, system that uh, you've been offering right. to the public. And it looks like this is something that you've been using on yourself. I guess some of well, it developed before your, your, your journey with Lyme and, and some of it is continuing to be developed as you yeah. continue on your Lyme disease journey. I had the brainicity and I had the, um, I call neurological nutrition separately, you know, and actually it was a, um, a VA grant, a grant from the veterans administration. Uh, it was actually a contest, not a grant, but anyway, uh, about suicide prevention and depression is what causes suicide. So if you can, you know, decrease depression you know so i you know i had to put together a proposal and i said you know what let me make this whole thing a three-part program the first part being the neurological nutrition okay to balance the neurotransmitters the second part being the brainicity and the third part being the photography uh as a path to healing and because a lot of times everybody focuses on one thing and so one thing doesn't always work for every single person. You know, sometimes one thing will work for one thing. It won't work for another person and so on. So I put together this program and I called it the three point um, wellness plan. And, and I put it together, that proposal for the VA, which I didn't, I didn't get the grant or anything, but anyway, uh, I decided, well, let me revise what I'm doing and, and put it all together in one plan uh, and call it the three-point uh, wellness plan. And then I wrote the book, The Three-Point Wellness Plan, and, uh, and all the information on all three are in that book. So now, does the, the three-point three wellness plan sounds like it's a plan that uh, helps you to manage uh, your emotions. It helps you to manage the physiological symptoms and it helps you to deal with the spiritual elements of a disease. And let's, so let's talk about those three prongs of Lyme disease and talk about how your journey through Lyme disease put you in a position where you had more insight into the, 
the 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 three different elements of 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 the human being and how it was important that all three elements be considered and treated so that you can manage this disease. What was the question? <laughs> my 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 question my question is is that is that you you created this this three point program? Yeah. Well, I didn't I didn't create it for Lyme disease. I just created it for general health. Yeah. I understand, but now of let's course, apply. The main focus was on people with migraine and depression. Right. You know, uh, that was the main focus. But you know, originally, um, when I was working with um, allergy research group, uh, the manufacturer, the guy who um, uh, owned uh, Stephen Levine, said, to, "I wrote the book Migraine," uh, and he says, "No," he says. You know, this, no, he says, because you wrote the book Migraine, but you have all these other things included in that book. He says, you need to uh, retitle it as neurotransmitter something or other, and, you know, include migraine and depression and fibromyalgia and all these other things that have uh, something to do with uh, neurotransmitter functions. So, you know, each part of this wellness program has something for somebody. Um, and I think it's the combination of all three that really, you know, will bring things together. Uh, maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. But it sounds like you're <laughs> that, right. It, it, it does sound like you're right. And the reason it sounds like you're right is in order to be able to have a healthy immune system, you're mm -hmm. going to have to be healthy you're going to have to be healthy emotionally. You're going to, have to be healthy physically and you're going to have to be healthy spiritually. Yeah. Well, you know, like I told this guy, Tom, you have nothing to lose. You know, it's not going to hurt you. So, you know, it's not like you're taking a drug that was experimental or a vaccine that was experimental and hasn't been proven yet. And the study won't be completed until 2024 on this vaccine, you know, and, and you might have a heart attack and have myocarditis or aortic dissection or something like that. You know, this is a, a program that's that has no uh, side effects, you know, other than maybe losing $30 for the book. <laughs> you know, have you know. had any Lyme patients use the three-point wellness plan? No. no. no? I haven't had a single Lyme patient come to me. I might have to try it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, well, I also wrote things too, you know, so that people can get benefit out of it without me. Now I'm 74 years old. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be around, but the books will be around. So if I can set things up, you know, every, most practitioners, you know, they're, they're all looking uh, to build their practice and be famous and all this stuff and make a lot of money. It's, that's just not me. Um, I want to help people. And so my books, you know, I, I mean, I, I, I do make money. I make, you know, like sometimes three, four dollars on a book. And uh, in some months, I make as much as $25 <laughs> on book sales. So, you know, but, but it's, he, it's there for prosperity. And, and if, these, if it catches on, people can follow the guidelines in these books without me. Yeah. What is your favorite book? Oh, I don't know. The, well, my, the latest, well, you know, I mean, I'm very partial to the uh, photo photography of Path to Healing, but that is in the three-part book. Okay. So, you know, 
Is there a book of yours that you recommend for a Lyme patient? Whether that's the one that has to deal with um, the food, I think you talked about certain. Well, the three point wellness plan deals with it all. Okay, mm-hmm. so that that's the all yeah. okay, well rounded one. Okay. So, why don't you talk about before uh, Tiffany asks you the final question of the podcast? Why don't you talk a little bit about your group uh, because you have a free group? Oh that, yeah, um, yeah, yeah. That that is available to folks in the community. Uh, mm-hmm who may believe that uh, through photography and the, the, the photographic arts that they may, uh, that may help them on their healing journey. Right. Uh, I only have about half a dozen people in the group right now. And most of them are people with very expensive cameras, you know, but I keep telling people you can use a cell phone. You don't need, you know, uh, it's not about photography. It's about, you know, what you're getting out of it. Uh, so the, the group and the course is online and they're both free. Uh, we meet once a month, the first Tuesday of every month at seven o'clock on Zoom. Uh, the Zoom link is not on the website. You have to email me to get it because uh, otherwise, you know, you'd have a bunch of spammers coming in. So um, I'm hoping to get more people in this group and especially since it's on zoom so it could be any place in the country you know well the world you know for that matter um and um so you know in the book it's 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 i like a vision quest i like i said the native american medicine wheel and you follow now i did the first journey in seasons I broke it up in seasons. So I actually started in the spring and then the summer and the fall and the winter. And there are different attributes like the spring um, has its main attribute of giving you a vision of something, you know, and then you go around the medicine wheel to the south where uh, you kind of face your fears and things. And um, no, um, that's the west. Uh, I got it all mixed up. But anyway, it follows that uh, that thing. Now I don't follow that anymore. I just go out there and take pictures. Whatever comes to me comes to me. I mean, sometimes I come home without any pictures, but I still enjoyed the the time being out there. I mean, sometimes I'll talk to the the trees, you know, <laughs> the woods. There's one spot, you know, that is my favorite spot. I say hello, and then all of a sudden, and in, this is wonderful in the summer. Oh. Oh, I say hello, and then all of a sudden this wind come kicks up, you know, and oh, does that feel good when it's you know 80, 90 degrees? Uh, so um, I know uh, I'm a candidate for Creedmoor, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know my wife comes with me and she sees it, so, you know. So uh, I do have a witness. <laughs> I feel like anything with the nature, like just being grounded with nature, stepping out and it just allows me to be more present and oh, absolutely. I feel yeah. just at peace, like not distracted yes. from the world around yeah. me. I'm right. Assuming. No so concrete, you know, exactly. exactly. But yeah. I have actually two questions for you. One quick one would be mm-hmm. um, based off of what you said in the very beginning, um, you mentioned about um, with migraines, um, blood flow to the brain. So I'm thinking about like when I had Lyme, I also, well, I do have Lyme, but when I had a flare up, my migraine was kind of bad. And I'm just wondering what is a piece of advice or something that you would suggest to get 
blood flowing to the brain more fluidly, I guess you could say? Well, what you need to do is reduce what's slowing down that brain, you know. See, the blood vessels are controlled by the nerves. The nerves control the blood vessels, okay? They make them constrict and dilate. Although I said, that's what's taught in medical schools. You have vasoconstriction, vasodilation. I say that's not correct. I say there's only one mechanism and that's vasoconstriction. And you have less vasa, if you have less vasoconstriction, then the blood vessels will dilate because you have pressure inside the blood vessels. Well, most arteries have a pressure of about 100 millimeters of mercury. And if you accidentally nick an artery, it goes all the way across the operating room. Unless you're wearing glasses, then it goes right onto your glasses. See? <laughs> so it's the pressure in the blood vessels that cause them to dilate. And so in migraine, what happens is when you lose neurotransmitters, it can't stay constricted, the blood vessels, so they dilate. And it's that dilation of the blood vessels that causes the pain. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So do you think like maybe me uh, working out more or just drinking a lot of water, is that going to help a little well, bit? Just basically the, keep the stress yeah. levels down, right? You don't want to work out too much either. You know? Okay. Because it's you know, too much, too much tension going like. Yeah, then you raise your blood pressure time. up and, and such. So you don't want to, and you're putting too much stress on the body. Um, so, you know, in moderation. Um, just just go out in nature and just be grounded with nature, right? I feel like that's, that's good too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And my last question. And follow the, follow the uh, tyramine free, uh, the migraine diet that I have in the book. Oh, yes, yes. So let me, I'm taking notes, actually, migraine diet. Mm. See, also <laughs> things like spinach, for example. Mm-hmm. Spinach can cause migraines, even if uh, there's no bacteria there, because spinach happens to contain a lot of tyramine. Mm, interesting. Thanks. Yeah, and avocado. Avocados, uh, um contain a lot of tyramine. So you want, you don't want things that have, as a matter of fact, you can uh, Google tyramine free diet and you'll, you'll get all kinds of information on that. Okay. I will definitely do that. Okay. Awesome. So my last question for you, um, going back to Lyme is if a loved one came to you with a tick biting them, let's say on their leg, um, Mm -hmm. what would, you recommend so that they would not have to face the suffering caused by chronic Lyme? Get on antibiotics right away. Right away. Okay. Okay. Immediately. (laughs) Tiffany Perez, I can't thank you enough for sharing uh, the the co-hosting responsibilities with me and and Dr. Laka. Thank you so much for spending time with us here on the Tick Bootcamp podcast. Thank you for listening to our Tick Bootcamp interview with our guest, Dr. John Alaka. To our listeners, we have a call to action. First, if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Alaka, please visit his website at alaka.com or drjohnphotography.com. Second, if you've enjoyed this episode of the Tick Bootcamp podcast, please share it with your friends on social media. Third, Tick Bootcamp has created a Tick Bite blueprint that has been inspired by the information that has been shared with us by past podcast guests. We urge you to visit our website at tickbootcamp.com slash bite 
to view the blueprint. Fourth, don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or Spotify to get your automatic episode updates of our Tick Boot Camp podcast. Please take a minute to leave us an honest review on our podcast platform of choice. And finally, if you'd like to search our podcast library of over 300 episodes, subscribe to our email list, or share feedback, please visit our website at tickbootcamp.com. Thank you, as always, for listening.